0: All right. Hey, everyone. Here we are. Bubba the Hunter, Episode 7, with your host, Robin Ryan. Continued uh, a little a little uh, snakehead talk. We had Mr.
1: Eric Packard on for a segment. Yeah, I think it was a good talk, huh, Ryan? Oh, man. It was really good. Like I said, when we finished, I think we, you know, I don't know, what is it, 40, 45, 50 minutes, whatever, but uh, I think Eric packed about 100 or excuse me an hour and 30 minutes into 50 minutes yeah for sure <laughs> i mean really? he just wow. has a wealth, wealth of, information. of information when it comes yeah. to coastal fishing and the fisheries and you know it just it's going to be a big eye opener um i think for a lot of the listeners you know both of them at this point <laughs> but uh, yeah maybe three yeah, of them now but,
0: but and, And it's more than just, uh, you know, obviously Eric is very knowledgeable on the Chesapeake Bay watershed and the Chesapeake Bay waters and stuff. But this really, he had some information that talks about the whole East Coast pretty much, all the way up to Maine, um, you know, from Florida to Maine. So, uh, yeah. What a yeah, welcome. and
1: you know if you if you are a, a a steadfast listener of the Bubba Show, um, you know we're we're uh, it was kind of brought on because of the snakeheads and you know the, the the little bit of argument of the invasives and me being on a soapbox on how you kind of got to be careful with those. Um, but man, Eric does a really good job of explaining what's going on with the ecosystem, not just with invasives, but the blue cats, uh, you know, the bass, and I mean, man, I tell you, just really is going to be an eye opener that there is a bigger picture out there right it's not always just about catching a fish so you can have a good time um yeah
0: yeah that's that, that's a good way to put it how you put that ryan the a bigger picture of it you know because as a snakehead fisherman myself i i'm certainly still behind the let them live I, I love catching them but when you just have your you know, narrow, have a narrow window view of snakehead. And then you have someone with uh, like Eric that comes on and just talks about the whole ecosystem. He talks about oysters, Um, You know, how that's impacting all the uh, bait fish, um, the the cleanliness of the bay, the striper fishing issues that are going on and the potential decline of that and how the CCA Maryland, the Coastal Conservancy Association of Maryland uh, chapter is really kind of taking that spearheading some studies on that and trying to make sure that the stripers are there for, for our kids to fish. Uh, wow. Yeah. It's just that whole big picture. And like you also, the blue cats and how that is maybe that is even a bigger issue. Um, but yeah. And yeah. I was completely
1: wow. unaware of the blue cats, you know, being uh, such a big problem. Um, you know, so there's a lot of problems out there. And it's great to have somebody like Eric. And then, yeah, as we've learned, you know, a, a lot of dedicated organizations and officials, quote unquote, to be paying attention to these problems because you know, for the most part, and it's, we've talked about it before, you know, the, the bubbas don't care or maybe they do care. They just don't, they don't, they're just not, uh, they're just not educated on it. So we're doing our best to educate them on it with people, with guests like Eric, uh, just so maybe open, you know, maybe they, uh, the bubbas out there just raise their eyebrows a little bit. Like, Oh man, that makes sense. You know, I didn't, never thought of it from oh, that perspective.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think it definitely will, uh, open some eyes to some bubbas for sure. And, you know, and, you know, the, the mantra Bubbas don't care us Bubbas, we do care about keeping keeping the fishery going right we want it there for our kids we want to be able to go out there and and catch and have some tugs on the line right and not go out there and get skunked all the time so and part of that is keeping that whole ecosystem and the big picture in mind so for sure
1: yeah yeah i think i think uh, it is a mantra but we we use it you know that term loosely Bubbas don't care but i think at the end of the day they, they most uh, for the most part they do care a lot um it's just maybe Bubba's too busy to care. Uh, so that's why there are people like Eric's out there to doing what they're doing and, and the organizations that, you know, he belongs to or advises on and, and so forth. But yeah, great stuff. I mean, man, really big eye opener. And uh, it, it has me excited that actually, um, you know, we're doing we're doing our part to, you know, allow Bubba's to care, at least giving them the knowledge to understand. Um, you know, that's, that's a big deal. Um, I think it is.
0: Yeah, and uh, Eric also went on to talk about the sika deer, you know, on the eastern shore. So, and how that's an invasive uh, species, uh, a mammal on land there. So, you know, maybe we need a t- uh, an episode upcoming on sika deer. That would be some. It'd be fun to go down there and hunt some sika deer, Ryan.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I have, I I, do, I have. If we want to talk sika deer on the eastern shore, I have the guy for sure.
0: Oh, that's perfect. I think we definitely need to get that on the upcoming episode mm-hmm. here, on uh, Bubba the Hunter. So. So yeah, so this came on the tails of our Snakehead Controversy uh, episode that we just recently dropped, episode six. So it was a uh, it was a good, uh, a good recap and good follow up to that one. So uh, and generate some interesting comments and feedback on that one, and maybe we'll get some uh, interesting comments and feedback on this. And remember, you know, we got the bubble Hotline out there. Maybe our two, three listeners, maybe out there, uh, you know, hey, entertain us a bit give us uh, give us your feedback comments Uh, call the bubba hotline 812-641-5501 and you can also send a text Uh, send a text to that same line it just uh, if you call give us straight to a uh, recording you can leave a message or if you send us a message uh, send a text message that'd be fun that's what we're looking for right
1: what we want we want the feedback yeah let's get engaged feedback that's it
0: absolutely all righty well with that uh, we'll lead in right into, uh, a session with Mr. Eric Packard. I think, uh, you all enjoy. You. All right. On with our main Bubba segment for episode seven, we have, uh, Mr. Eric Packard. I know Eric has a tagline that says something along the lines. He's an artist that fishes, but I think along with being a very gifted artist, Eric is living the dream. Many Bubbas out there, uh, would love to live in the many of the days that you fish out there. And I'm sure we'll, uh, get to talk about that in more detail. Eric. So, uh, but, uh, so thanks for
1: coming on Eric on, uh, Bubba the Hunter.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks Rob. And thanks Ryan for having Yeah, me.
1: definitely. You do a lot of fishing, that's for sure. So how many days a year do you get out there?
2: It depends, uh, anywhere from, um, 245, 240, 250, somewhere in there. I retired, um, six years ago, I guess six years ago. Mm-hmm. And so now I just, uh, my only requirement is to be home by dinner time. So I get up in the morning, I can go fish like I'm going to work. Come home, same routine. That's
1: really cool. Uh, what'd you What'd you yeah. retire from?
2: Um, well, I'm a fire sprinkler fitter by trade. Overhead fire protection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, I did that. I was a sprinkler fitter for 14 years, and then I became the director of a training program. I had 4,000 apprentices in 46 states around the U.S. I was like a school superintendent. I uh, went back to school, got my BA in associate degree in education. And then I went to work for the international union and retired from there as their IT director. Wow.
1: Yeah. That's pretty cool. Diverse yep. background. I like it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Good deal.
2: Little bit of this, little bit of that. All right. So now your
1: time spent chasing fish.
2: Yeah. Fish and uh, fish talk magazine. I um, contributing writer to them. I do articles for them. I do fishing reports. <clears throat> I'm a, um, a commissioner for the Southern Maryland region of the sports fishery advisory commission for the state of Maryland, which is pretty cool. Um, this is my second term on this. I filled the last term for a guy who was about two and a half years, and this is a four-year term now. So
1: Yeah, I just saw that in your Instagram feed. Congratulations on that. That's pretty neat, man. Yeah, Thanks. Pretty yeah. cool. What's that until? What's that until?
2: Um, well, we're advisory to the um, the DNR on the fishery side, and um, they come to us with stuff, and there's a the committee that's made up of, um, I think it's 18 people, and they um, advise. We, we get subject matter. We bring things up as well, um, like the dry bass issues is going on. Um, we kind of give our opinion on that, and like I said, we're just advisory. We don't have any regulatory powers or anything. Uh, they come with questions, and we represent our constituents. So we go back and uh, talk to the constituents, and then report back to the DNR, um, the Fisheries, the um, Secretary of the um, the DNR, and um, pretty much that's what. What it are is.
1: some of the What are some of the issues that that t- hot topics right now? Like you mentioned, the straight brass issue now. I will say, I don't know if you've listened to any of our podcasts, but when we talk fishing, this is not my forte at all. So uh, I do fish, but, uh, and I'm not on the coast or, or ever in the waters that you guys are fishing. So I'm kind of out of touch to it. My background is more wildlife and, and I have the science and I worked for a lot of years in the nonprofit science world. Uh, so okay. yeah, what are some of the, what are some of the issues that is a uh, heavy concern right now?
2: Well, concern right now are invasive species, the blue catfish, the uh, snakehead, and then also the issues with the striped bass, um, which are the hot topics. Especially striped bass, because striped bass is a state fish, and people have a lot of history here with with them. And um, the populations diminished. Uh, they had a moratorium back in the um, I don't want to say late '80s, early '90s, in there someplace, and then um, so there was no fishing for a period of time. There, population's grown back up, but um, the Striped bass are, hit. They, there's, um, it's very complicated because you have environmental issues with overbuild, hard shorelines, um, you know, subdivisions all over around Maryland, Pennsylvania, um, believe it or not because the Susquehanna and all that dumps back in up from up north, and then um, Delaware, and then you got um, Virginia. Overfishing in Menhaden as well, uh, down in the Virginia waters, they're taking Menhaden out of there, the um, um, one plant that processes them, the... Um, for the fish oils. And, um, so they're taking food source for the striped bass as so, well. Not, um,
1: not to interrupt it. So pronounce that again, the, the, the fish that? The, that they're taking out for the, the oils. Menhaden. So that's a, that's basically a bait fish that the striped bass feed
2: on. Yeah. And other fishes as well, like uh blue it's, it's a, um, you know, it's a schooling fish. It's a bait fish for, you know, for the other fish. It, 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 they what they do is they use um, nets and they just encircle them. They have spotter planes. They go out. They find a school. They start cir- encircle them, pick them all up, take them out. And they're, oh, wow. they're only permitted to take so many, um, you know, so much weight out because they measure the weight. And they've exceeded that a couple of years, um, and then they've got penalized for it. So, but the, the truth is, and they're the only plant. They're actually Canadian plant, um, and they're the only ones doing this. But um, it's not only it's not only that. It's so complicated. All these different things. Um, we have blue catfish now, blue catfish were introduced in Virginia, down the James river and the Rappahannock and uh, so forth and so on in the eighties, uh, for, uh, the fishery for, um, to provide big catfish for, um, the residents in Virginia. And what's happened now is like the James river. I think it's, I want to say over 75, maybe even higher. No, I saw it the other day. I think 90% of low, but over 90% of the biomass in the James river are blue catfish. Really? You can longer wow. get big catfish because there's so many of them that are catching small. So they're considered invasive? So happen- yeah, they're invasive. They're from the Mississippi, yeah. um, Delta area. And um, those fish were planted there for sport fish. And now um, what's happened is over the years, uh, we've had um, a lot of freshwater runoff and stuff like that. A lot of, um, in the spring has been really wet. So these fish have migrated up into the rivers over the years and they've worked themselves into the Potomac, Patuxent, and on the Eastern shore as well. And, um, you can go up to, uh, there's a called Fletcher's Cove. it's where the, um, the striped bass go up and spawn every year. As far as they can go up to Little Falls, um, it's the tidal area limit and they go up there and spawn and then they uh, leave and go all the way back out to the ocean, all the way up to Maine. Um, but, uh, the blue cats, they go there this time of year to start feeding on the um, Hickory Shad American Shad, which are endangered as well. Um, there's a, you can do only do catch and release. You can't keep them in Maryland, but those um, catfish go up there to eat these. And when the fry uh, will, you know, develop uh, out of the embryo, they'll be end up being uh, larvae, then be fried. And then they'll get eaten as well. So we have uh, hard shorelines. Um, the, um, past few winters uh, have been fairly warm. Uh, our young of year counts have been way down. There's a level they're supposed to be at for um, when they do the, the same net testing. And um, so that's been down and that's due probably to the invasive species somewhat, um, the warm winters. What they find is if you have really hard, cold, snowy winter, um, the striped bass have the better um, young of year. What happens is, is the water gets too warm, um, zooplankton, plankton bloom, and by the time the uh, the um, larvae and the um, fry get big enough to start feeding on the plankton, the plankton has gone off shore, shore far enough to starving out. There's all these various issues going on as well. Um, same with the oyster; the oyster is a problem. Um, there are just a fraction of what used to be in the bay. They kept the waters clean, and so forth, and so on. And so, you know, there's a ton of issues and then there's the overfishing um there's commercial there's charter and there's there's uh, recreational like me um you know they have this real weird false number that um i think nine percent of the fish i catch will die um by being hooked but um that testing was done in a saltwater pond um i think up in maine i could be wrong on that anyway um i think the number everybody believes the number is less than that but um you go out on the bay after a hard day of fishing um you'll see some dead fish floating around because you can't keep fish um, under 19 inches. So they're catching smaller fish and they may be gut-hooking them if they're using live bait or circle hooks, and maybe using circle hooks that are too small and still gut-hooking the fish. And then there's also, um, in the summertime, um, you have really, uh, when it's warm out, the first portions in the water column, the top part, portions of them are going to be too warm for the fish to survive in then there's oxygen below that because no oxygen there no oxygen below either so they're, they're squeezed into this narrow space so if you catch a fish even if it's a healthy fish and you didn't gut hook it you release that fish it still has to swim down five ten foot of water 15 foot of water get down to oxygenated water and did you fight that fish to exhaustion now it won't survive it can't swim down so there's all this complex issues going on and um everybody has a piece of the pie and everybody has a uh face up to what their part is and uh, step up and make it happen. yeah
1: and you know that's a lot of good points and again to draw the parallels between on the wildlife side it, every issue is very complex you know it's it's just not one thing that you can do that's going to make something better when you're talking habitat management or now you know what you're talking about with the fisheries here and, you know from sport fishing to commercial fishing you know recreational fishing Um, man, it all plays a a big part. That's really cool. It's interesting to hear that, uh, you know, the straight bass scenario. So in terms of numbers or percentage of numbers, what's the population look like compared to what it was, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago? Do you have any of
2: that? Uh, No, I don't have off the top of my head. Um, The numbers have been um, dropping dramatically. Um, They do, uh, right now they're actually doing it. They do, um, they go out and set nets up, uh, gill nets, gill net them. And then they um, they measure the fish. They check the sex because they're spotting right now. You can check, you tell if it's a male or female by pressing on the abdomen if you get milt or eggs coming out of them. So they do that. They take um, um, samples of some of their scales because you can date the fish, age the fish by the scale, by counting the rings like you did a tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a true um, – uh, it gets close. It's not really a true age of them. Uh, the only way to really age them is through the, uh, the ear bones. Um, by just you know, killing the fish. So they, if a fish dies uh, or if they get one, they can double check and they keep records of that so they can check, check them. But the um, the young year, I think the average um, when they do that, they go out and say nets after they spawn, or after they, um, they hatch and the, the small fry are swimming around. They do the same net, they'll count those. Um, it's supposed to be around 11 to 12 um, percent, and that's per um, I think I forget if it's miles that they do that they send out, but anyway, the number is not 11 where it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be 11 and better, but the number of the past two or three years have been two or three. Oh
1: wow! So pretty drastic or significant decline.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then the uh, large breeding females, or real large cows, they call them uh, the big fish that are you know um, over 35 inches. Females would get uh, over 35, males would get up to 35, sometimes a little bit bigger. And, um, so if you catch a big 40 inch fish or catching females and, um, they are far and few between, and it's not a Maryland issue only, it's, it's not a Bay issue either. These fish are all the way up in Maine and they come all, there's a couple different fisheries up there that they fish off of Connecticut, uh, New York, um, uh, New Jersey, all the way down the coast into the Carolinas. These fish come into the Bay, they spawn, this is the primary nursery for, um, striped bass. Yeah. So when they're done spawning here, they go out and out and go spend their summers offshore. And they're still being uh, captured, of course, for commercial. Uh, People are still fishing for them all summer long. Um, They're catching some big, big fish. So it's the, um, all the states have a piece of the pie and they need to step up as well to help manage these fish. Yeah, that's
1: interesting when you think of state agencies in the terms of wildlife, you know, especially, you know, you look at the interior of Pennsylvania, if you will, and, you know, they're managing a semi-local herd i guess i guess when you get towards the lines they go back and forth but when you're speaking of straight bass from you know the whole way up the coast all the way into maine everybody has to do their part and kind of get on the same page i guess uh,
2: yeah they, they, do. they do that's where the uh, atlantic coast sports fishery uh, commission comes in play and everybody ends up you know they set rules and boundaries for that as well right. so i
0: no eric so you said the you know, the cows, as you say, they're, they're spawning right now in Maryland, Are I think we're in what they call trophy season yeah. right now. Yeah. Does that, so it seems like counterproductive, right? I mean, yeah. want, we want to keep the stripers going, but maybe there should be a slot size instead of trophy season. Well, the, or... um,
2: the state has trophy season because there's a lot of heritage within striped bass, uh, okay. in state of Maryland. So, um, they do the, um, you can keep one fish a day over 35 inches.
0: Yeah. But those are the ones that we want to keep, right? If I'm understanding you correctly. Yes. Especially if you
2: get, you know, 40, 50 inch fish, which yeah. takes years, you know, 20 years or so to get that big. And then they lay, you know, up to a million eggs. And now you take that fish out of the, out of the system. And then, oh, wow. Yep. Yeah. But, but it goes all the way up the coast. These people fish for these cows up in Maine, up in, um, you know, all summer long and, and capture them as well. So... Um, mm but you, it, they open the trophy season up and it doesn't include. Yeah. So
1: I guess it's, that's the balancing act, right. Uh, from the perspective of keeping the recreational or slash sport fishing people happy, the people that are buying the license and, you know, putting the money out there to enjoy it and then also balance the species themselves. Right.
2: Yeah, definitely. I was going to say that the, yeah. um, you can't fish in the, um, in the tributaries you can only fish the main of, of the bay um there's boundaries on that and then um so some of these fish are still up in the the tribs spawning and then when they come out they'll try capturing them catch them as they do but these fish are uh right now i haven't seen very many people catching to be honest with you not like in the years past the numbers have dropped way down and there are a lot of people um that are going out on uh charters not big um big charters that are trolling lines, but some of the smaller ones that are doing uh like ca- tackle casting or even trolling that the uh, captains will take you out for catch and release only, and they will not let you keep a fish. So that is happening within the, our industry as well.
0: Well, that sounds a little promising there. Yep. Yeah, yeah. During this trophy season time. Yeah. So, you know, there was a lot of, here we are 15 minutes in, and there's a lot of information there, Eric. You mentioned oysters in the bay. What well, what is the oysters doing for the bay, and why are those numbers declining too, and how that's impacting the overall striper issue?
2: Well, it keep, it, oysters keep the waters clear. I mean, if you look at the, the um, zebra mussels that got into the um, the Great Lakes, up Lake Erie, and places like that, the uh, look how the uh, water clarity has gotten so drastic, um, which actually kind of helps somewhat. But you have to be very careful of keeping the water too clear. Then, you know, it's, it's, it takes nutrients out. So uh, what oysters are supposed to do is they've been in the bay um, from the beginning. They, they're, they're they're a filter of the bay. They filter the water out. And when oysters, um, I forget what the number is, but they can clean quite a bit of water in a short amount of time. But again, um, with the overbuild sediments, um, time, um, these they need a hard bottom to, to have a... Oyster bed come off of, and if it's covered in sediment, or an oyster bed is um, constantly getting sediment into it, eventually it's smaller and smaller and smaller. And um, that's part of it. I don't think it's so much uh, overfishing. Overfishing years ago, but um, today there are companies that still uh, oyster, and some have oyster farms that they use. But um, with CCA Maryland, they are they have oyster reef building project, and they go around. Um, they actually do it with the school kids here in Calvert County. Um, they built, uh, these concrete reef balls and then they get with the state and they find a designated area. They can send the reefs out. Uh, they put spat on them and then the oysters will start growing and then they monitor them. And so they're trying to do that as well. But, um, I, know, oysters will never get back to where they were. Um, you know, originally, if you go look, there's a book called, um, I think it's simply called the oyster. Um, it's about the Hudson river and the oysters there, how, um, they were like a foot and a half long. When they wow. covered the, you know, came to the U.S., um, the Dutch, and then um, you can still find today these from the indigenous people here uh, oyster shell, ancient oyster shell, where they would shuck them and eat them and throw the shell away. So there's um, a lot of history there as well. But um, they're trying to get some of the oyster populations back. Um, but I, with the runoff and sediment, I don't see how that's ever going to happen unless they can't control some sort of environmental issues with that.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's it. It's interesting how just the whole overall ecosystem and just all works, how the oysters play into it and just for stripers. And, you know, you mentioned the blue cat and how the blue cat is an invasive species around into the Chesapeake Bay waters. Yeah. Uh, Do you see that? A bigger issue than you know. We just like uh, Ryan was mentioning. We just had an episode called the Snakehead Controversy and how we were going back and forth on that and talking about the the Snakehead and how that is impacting. Yeah, I I think
2: I think the blue cat are are a bigger um, threat to um, some of the populations in the, um, especially the striped bass. But they Hmm. they um, there are two different environments. You got to think of it that way. Um, Snakehead are more in a mud bottom. A marshy, swamp uh, air type of scenario. That's what they like. Uh, what I've seen them do right. is that they will enter a trim, um, a river, and then the creek's on it, and they want to go as far as they can into the thinnest water that they can. Uh, keep in mind that they are air breathers as well. They breathe with their gills, but they don't have to be in um, water that has a lot of oxygen. They can just stick their nostrils up and take a gulp and go back down. Um, and then they have a chamber in their head that, but um, it's like not a lung, but it holds there. At any rate, right. um, those animals, um, they've done a study over the Blackwater and I forget they did 30-some different species maybe, could be wrong on that, but I think 17 of them were impacted um, strongly. Um, the population that it, since the um, snakehead were introduced, I think the gizzard shad, carp, and maybe a couple of other fish, their populations have grown um, because now largemouth bass, uh, perch, other type of what we call game fish have reduced significantly. So have the um, the numbers for uh, uh, like frogs and amphibians and things like that. They, they've dropped as well. But, but keep in mind here, um, you know, we're talking about two invasive species. But brown trout are an invasive species. They're, they're not indigenous in the U.S. Rainbow trout are from the northwest uh largemouth bass aren't supposed to be in this area either um so you know think about what we've done from the get-go and how they've um purposely put different fish in different places now um some of this may balance out they're not sure how it's going to look like in the end but um as you can see in virginia the blue cat issues are going to be a big issue for the bay and for like the Potomac River, patuxent river and the uh, susquehanna and places like that and then um the uh, snake head will probably be a bigger issue with, um, smaller fish like killifish and, um, minnows and things like that. Um, and then they're going to eat fry of other fish too. They'll, they'll push other fish out. So it'll balance out, but they'll be in the far reaches of the trips and the marsh areas. A uh, catfish, actually they'll troll in the Potomac river along the, the bay and they'll catch catfish out there. That's when in sal- high water. And
1: it's, you know, so that's, you know, part of the, uh, I guess the reason we, uh, Rob suggested you come on because, you know, you brought a little bit of science to it. And given my science background, we were, the last podcast we did, we we're talking about snakehead fishing and, you know, some people, there's a lot of movement out there to, you know, throwing them back and because they're so fun, such fun to catch, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Then I started diving down into research and looking at, I guess, you know, the level of invasiveness that they are. And, and a lot of it's fairly new. It's, you yeah. know, 20 years. So um, there. There's a lot of unknowns out there yet, and when you speak to, you know, brown trout and bass and you know, the other types of invasive, could there be an argument made that yeah, although say brown trout and and largemouth bass, bass are certainly invasive, but just the sheer appearance of a snakehead, it, it just looks um, much more detrimental to an ecosystem than maybe a brown trout or a bass. Is there any arguments there yeah. for that, as far as what they're going to eat? They're predatory uh instincts if you will i don't know
2: if there's uh, other than um you know the mom a good example is um we were allowed to fish over here at calvert cliffs state park and there's a marsh area in the back of it that holds snakehead so um we started fishing that and there's a walkway that walks all the way down goes down to the beach and so if you hook a snakehead and you land it and you're going to kill the thing and there's a mom going by in the stroller with her kids yeah there's an issue you know they're 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 so now you can't fish there any longer. They're saying that you know you can't fish in the marsh any longer um, because it's a protected marsh. Um, but they're going to allow the invasive species to live there, and I believe it's because of the um, the black eyed snakehead has because of its look, because of the movies they made about it, uh, because they say it'll walk on land, which a northern snakehead does not walk on land. There are certain snakeheads that can. If you take a snakehead that the belly's flat and you can throw it down the ground, it'll try swimming. It's not walking. It has no legs or anything. Um, it can move through thin water, you know, like any fish can to swim. But because of the body shape, it stays straight up and can work through the water. Um, so there's all that that plays into it. Um, uh the state's not ready to make them a uh, a naturalized fish yet like they do with bass or things like that or smallmouth even or um you know there's walleye muskie in the potomac river i'm catching so those are invasive species they're not supposed to be there they never were there um they've gotten there either from somebody dumping them there or they travel on their own um you know things can happen um you know as well as i do um a duck can eat or not duck but maybe a duck or something else a blue heron can pick a fish up and drop it somewhere else and, you know, it could spawn out. So
0: Do you, do you ever see the snakehead being a, a game fish, like a largemouth in,
2: in Maryland? Uh, they're not going anywhere.
0: No. So they're, yeah. There,
2: yeah. There, there are so many of them, and they're in every trip. They're not going anywhere. Same with blue cat. There's no way to get rid of them. Um, you can with the snakehead. Um, there's a study being done in Japan on bluegill. Bluegill, I think six bluegill were given to the emperor back in the 50s, maybe by the president. Anyway, so the bluegill uh, problem in Japan has exploded and bluegill, bluegill every, bluegill every place. There's nothing eats them. So they're trying to figure out and they're working on them by um, doing a hybrid genetically altered fish, I think will breed, but then can't produce. So um, I think they're trying to get to the point where they can introduce this fish and then that bluegill population over a period of years will diminish and go away. So they could probably do that with snakehead because there's no other comparable a- animal other than maybe like a bofin that uh, would, you know, wouldn't be affected by it. But if you did a, um, a blue cat, blue cat are indigenous to the us in the Mississippi Delta area river. And if you um, create that pro- um, hybrid fish here, it could get there and wipe out a natural population. So there's all the science that people can possibly do or try to do. So when you say
1: they're not going anywhere, I mean, again back to the land mammals coyotes aren't going anywhere uh invasive you know wild boars aren't going anywhere you know they're here but yet we're trying to do everything we can to keep them as a bare minimum to keep them spreading for any further than they are especially with the, you know the wild hogs the wild hogs you know will absolutely 100 percent destroy an ecosystem if not kept in check
2: yeah totally wipe it out yeah, yeah. so
1: I guess in terms of, I, I think the plus for the snakeheads is, as you just alluded to, they live in the marshes, right? They're not out in the deeper water. They're not out in the uh, the, the, the main channels. From my perspective, is that, am I, is that right to say
2: you'll, that? See, you'll see them on occasion. Some of these brackish water streams, you'll see them in there. But they're moving up. Um, they're always on the on the on the go, trying to get to thinner water. Um, their whole lifespan. I think uh, the way I've seen them and the way they operate, they seem to just keep going deeper if, if you're in a tidal area and the tide comes in these fish ride the tide up go in the shallow then they ride the tide back out sit in the channels ride the tide back up that way so they're they're just in my opinion they're they're just trying to go as far as they can upstream mm-hmm. um, so the uh, fishes and the animals that live up there will probably be like Caer cliffs over here um, that marsh will probably be overran with them I've actually um, caught a male and a female off of a fry ball, and then see another snakehead start eating those fry.
1: Wow! Wow! So, in terms of you know them co cohabitating with other fish, say largemouth bass, pickerel, this will the snakehead potentially
2: out compete as far as feed is concerned? I think so. I think so. If you go over to the black water, um, you may be able to catch a few small largemouth, but the largemouth I catch over there are you Know two and a half, three, four pounds. They're not, I'm not seeing small fish,
1: right? So the small fish are just getting eaten,
2: yeah. I would assume, yeah. And the bass, you know, bass will eat their own to eat as well, right. So if the fry are hashed out, the large amount of bass are eating, They got um, bluegill eating the eggs out of the bed, you know, they got all this competition. Now you throw in another predator that's going to eat them and can eat up to one third of size in fish. So, you know, boom, boom, boom. And the snakehead, you know, they can get up to You know, I've caught them as big as thirty-one inches, thirty-two inches. So, and they get a little bit bigger, but
1: they're big fish. So, from your perspective, what do you? What's what's your overall consensus on the snakehead? As you mentioned, they're not going anywhere. So, what do you think needs done to manage it? I mean,
2: I I think um, you know the state of Maryland won't mandate that you keep the fish. Potomac River uh, Fisheries Commission. If you catch one, you're supposed to uh, harvest it. Keep it. Uh, what I do personally, what I do is I think other people should as well. Um, if I catch a snakehead, he's going to die. And what I do is I either give them to, um, I catch so many fish, I just can't keep everything I catch. But
1: you know. <laughs> send some my way. I want but to try. I'm, not, bra-
2: <laughs> I'm not bragging. It's <laughs> 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 a to bubble's dream there. right there. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the truth is, so I'll, I'll keep the fish and I'll give them to family, friends if they want them. But, um, now I've got a friend of mine, they want them to feed to eagles and other birds of prey. Oh yeah. So wrap them, basically freeze them, they come and get them and then they'll go feed them to to the birds.
1: So this fish advisory commission that you sit on, how big of a, when you speak specifically to invasives, I know we talked about the straight bass, but, um, you know, coming again from my background, invasive plays such a huge part in our ecosystem. How much time is spent when you when you sit down and have some of those meetings talking about this invasive specifically?
2: Well, the um, some of the committees, there's subcommittees as well. Um, they started the blue cat study. So they're working on the science. Scientists are working on that. They really haven't come to the committee on that much. They talk to us somewhat about it, give some opinion, but it doesn't take a big chunk of the time. Because um, they're more concerned with um, like bluefish right now. Um, bluefish, they're put a limit of two fish on because they're in trouble as well. Um, they're trying to regulate. you know, and The only thing that the DNR can do is regulate. Um, they can't do anything else other than that. Um, you know, they can't um, stop somebody from building a subdivision. They can't do certain things. So um, you know, you know as well as I do how complex it could be. Um, so um, it's a small percentage of. The overall conversation, Um, if you're talking about like black bass um, right now, the black bass committee, which reports to the SFAC committee, um, they have a report out and they're concerned with the Alabama bass. It's a smaller, largemouth bass. Uh, It has, you can tell by, I think it's tongue has teeth on it. Its mouth doesn't go back beyond its eye. Um, It doesn't get as large as largemouth bass do, but it outcompetes them. And they're in Virginia in some landlocked lakes. They're not sure how they got there and they're afraid that they'll end up in Maryland. Mm. So those are the type of things that come up, and they let people know, hey, let us know if you see them so that they can stop them. Um, The the issue with the uh, snakehead, I believe, well, I've seen people do it, I guess, is that um, they transplant fish. Well, let me say this first. The fish on the um, western shore of the bay and the eastern shore of the bay are genetically different. They're both um, northern snakehead, but they're genetically different. So they, two different populations, but, uh, there are people that, uh, when snakehead be, started getting, uh, popular, didn't want to drive, you know, an hour, two hours to go fish it. They'll go catch a fish and release it closer to
1: home. Oh yeah. See, that, that's, that's part of my argument. And I've dealt with this a lot is when you're dealing with, you know, Bubba the hunter, Bubba the fisherman, whatever you want to call it, you know, you're, you're, you're weekend warrior. And there's, I mean, and that's what drives the industry is your weekend warrior. So this is not a bad thing, but, a lot of their decision-making is based on emotion, right? They want to have a good time. And this as you speak yep. of, I don't want to drive an hour or two. And I completely get that. But we, the hardest thing about understanding when you're making your decisions based on emotion, as in like, I want to catch a snakehead closer to home. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, but there's a bigger picture to think about. Um, yeah. You know, and a lot of times... Oh, look at what they, look at the European, they
2: brought starlings over. Right. Yeah. That's a great example.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, based, based solely on emotion, because they want to look at a bird.
2: <laughs> yeah, look at a bird. Now what's that bird done, it's everywhere, and it's you know it eats insects. It competes for other uh, resources from other birds, pushes them out. So, I mean, it's been that's been what since eighteen hundred, right?
1: Yeah. So, so it, it, very interesting, and it's really opened my eyes up. At, at uh, you know, to think about. And I, I, excuse me for not remembering, but the, the Atlantic uh, Commission that o- kind of oversees and makes, you know, it has the state agencies working together. What was that called again?
2: Uh, I'd have to look up the actual so name. That's already.
1: OK. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, that is a such a complicated process. Um,
2: you well, know. it also you have to you have to think of it this way, too. It comes down to um, I hate to say it, but money It comes down to um, does a state tell somebody and puts their um, their somebody's livelihood, somebody that's a commercial company that employs a lot of people, do you put them out of business or do you balance that with what you're trying to achieve, which what they're trying to achieve is a, uh, a line that the striped bass are above. It's a, you know, they don't want to go below that line, which it is now, um, the SSB. And then, um, so they are doing a balancing act and doing the best, honestly, they're doing the best they can. Um, because you have, um, all this environmental stuff, but then you have politics play into it, which is a money driver, which, um, you know, you can't fault anybody. That's just the name of the game.
1: Right. No, and man, really great point and eye opening. When you speak of state agencies managing fisheries from commercial to sport recreation, I mean, you don't have that in, in the mammal world, right? With whitetail deer or turkeys, because you don't have a commercial operation out there taking uh, wild deer from the state agency. No. Uh, so you have hunters to manage, right? And you're managing a population and man, it's much more simplistic yet complicated. But when it comes to the fishing, that's yeah, a great point from straight bass. What about the red drum? You know, I've fished for those, uh, from Louisiana, the
2: whole way up the coast, right? Um, yeah, I've caught them here in the Bay. In fact, Mill Creek here, which is, uh, several thousand feet from my house. I'll catch puppy drum there. Uh, if I go down to, um, the Southern point of Maryland here. Uh, 40-some minutes, I can catch slot fish I've caught up to 48 inches out in the bay.
1: Unbelievable. Yeah, that is really cool.
2: Them, along with cobia, you know, we're catching cobia now up here near Solomon straight across as well. These are southern fish, and because of the global warming, all these fishes have moved further north. Um, If you go up to Maine, I believe they're having a problem with the black sea bass, that they're eating the um, lobsters now uh, they've moved so far. Wow.
1: Very interesting stuff.
2: Yep. Yep. It, it's complex. I mean, then they, the blue cats uh, talk about industries. Um, there's an industry now for blue cats in the Potomac river and elsewhere. Uh, people go out and put their um, trout lines out. They, you know, get 1,400, 2,000 pounds of fish in a few hours and bringing them in. Um, and then, you know, for food service, Places and they, they sell them. So is that a good thing? Yeah. It's a good thing. Yeah. yeah, take them out of the water. Right. Yeah. So,
1: talk to me about the blue cats a little bit. And I'm just thinking about when you talk about invasives. So you have the snakeheads in very shallow water in the coves and so forth. And we'll keep the bass off the list. But then you have pickerel and which kind of float around in deeper water. The but the blue cat. That's from my perspective or a little bit limited knowledge that I have. They can they they can be found almost anywhere, right? From the deep water all the way into the shallows, right?
2: Yeah, they can, they can. Yeah. And you mentioned pickerel. Pickerel indigenous to, the, to this the East Coast, all the way down to Florida, around the uh, Gulf Coast. So, pickerel are here.
1: Yeah, I guess I, I wouldn't, I, I, they are indigenous, but they are, they can be a pretty nasty predator, though, right?
2: No, they're, they're supposed to be here. Yeah, they're supposed to be here. We want them. Yeah, screw the best fish.
1: <laughs> Good deal. <laughs>
2: I mean, seriously, I, I fish for largemouth bass, but it's cool, and I enjoy the industry, and I was just joking when I said that, but I I, I fished down in Florida, and I'm on a boat with this guy, and the, he's a guide, and he catches a um, a pickerel, which is indigenous to the waters that he's fishing, and he uh, cuts his gill arches and throws it back in. Oh, wow. Because he's saying it's eating the, the largemouth bass. Right. But the largemouth bass aren't supposed to be there. Right. Let it coexist, man. Come on. Yeah, man. he has it backwards. <laughs> Yeah,
1: you know <laughs> so I just saw on Instagram, I think it was yesterday, and I'm not sure if it was a blue cat, but it was some sort of catfish that had a, uh, a squirrel in its gut. A fisherman had caught it, and they were butchering it up, and it had eaten a squirrel.
2: Yeah, prob- probably so. Yeah. Uh, CCA Maryland, uh, they are also doing a invasive species count, uh, which runs from now through the end of the year. And what they want you to do, it doesn't cost anything to join, it's a contest, and um, any invasive, or actually snakehead and blue cats, and flathead catfish as well. Flatheads are in the state, they're up north, um, and they're not supposed to be here either. So what they want you to do is they want you to measure the fish, uh, the length of it, take a photograph of it, and then uh, if you can, give an identification of the stomach contents. That information goes to the DNR, and they'll use that information for their research studies.
1: Yeah, maybe that was part of that then I so. saw. Very well, yeah, could be.
2: The CCA Maryland's Iangler is the app that you can get onto and it doesn't cost anything to do it. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a fun little, uh, tournament. So, so to speak to be in, I, yeah. I did that a couple of years ago or a couple of summers ago when, uh, and with the Iangler app, it made it pretty neat. Yeah. In fact, I remember seeing uh, your name on there, Eric and, uh, yeah you you surpassed me pretty quickly um but uh yeah that's that's a little fun little thing that cca does with the their app and everyone it it makes it easy everyone has an iphone you know smartphone to be able to do that
2: yep 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 so it's all cool yeah yeah tagging also um cca maryland starting up a tagging program which runs from the nma through um end of june i want to say they want to tag a thousand fish and we're doing a tag study for retention tags um that information go to the DNR, then they can use that for um, their, um, you know, the striped bass issues that they're having right now. So CCA Maryland is going to do that. They've got money from a, um, an outside group. I think Under Armour donated some money for this program. And um, so they'll have a select group of people. They'll train uh, taggers and then they'll go out on boats with folks and they'll tag. They want to tag up to a thousand fish and then they want to see how long those fish retain those tags. So that's a right. program as well.
0: Is there a target species of fish? It's striped bass. Tag- oh, okay. Just, right. the, just, just the stripers.
2: Now, the, um, the, um, who is the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, they're going to start tagging, or if they haven't already, uh, tagging snakehead to do a study on them as well. I'm not sure geographically where they are at. Um, then the um, – who else is tagging? I think it's probably at it, the striped bass and, and those. Oh, they're tagging the uh, blue catfish too in the uh, Patuxent River. They're doing a study there. They have transponders. They know where these fish are at and seeing where they migrate, trying to get a handle on that.
0: I was going to ask you about that. If, you know, snake, th- to be able to study Snakehead, just because it just seems like there isn't that many good studies on Snakehead, if we could just start tagging them, you know, seeing where are they going, how, you know, how invasive are they yeah. becoming. And oh, that's pretty neat that, that that's uh, on the table. I'm, yeah. I, that's
2: neat to hear. Yeah. It's pretty cool. To hear that. Yeah. yeah. Snakehead, though, they're, um, like I said, I've caught fish. If you see their fry balls, you know, you can tell by the little bubbles on the surface. I've actually gone over with my kayak and take my landing net, dip it in there, and I can pull up 40, 50, 60 snakehead fry in and, and it. It's amazing. And these fish, they spawn um, two to three times a year.
1: Oh, wow. So they're pro- prolific breeders.
2: Yeah, they're unlike any other fish that, um, you know, indigenous fish that only spawn, you know, in the springtime. These fish, um, the water temperature gets above um I think they want it, uh, the study I read, I want to say um, 70s, 80s, they want to spawn in that best. They like it nice and warm. Wow.
0: So if they're spawning three three times a year, Eric, uh, and those the fry that make it out of that, how, how fast of a grower are they? Uh,
2: they, grow pretty, they grow quite uh, quickly. Um, I'm trying to think. 30-inch fish is probably four years, maybe. Okay. Something like that. I could be wrong on that. I I have to study around here someplace. That's a, so just, from, a study.
1: just from what you know, how many fry balls could
2: you find in a cove when 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 every when all, all conditions are right? Um, wow. I can sit there and I can fish fry balls. Uh, I'm trying to think. Last time I fished over at the Blackwater when they were hatching out, um, I fished maybe an area. I would say, trying to think of the distance I went, uh, maybe... Half a mile, three quarters of a mile. I probably saw 10, 15, 20. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, wow. so they're yeah. not going anywhere. And, no, yeah, no, no. They're definitely not going anywhere. That's yeah. uh, that's pretty amazing. So, f- I guess from your perspective, what the, from a recreational, maybe not your perspective, but from a recreational standpoint, uh, sport fish standpoint, what brings the most people? You know, when you when we talk about there's always politics involved, you know, there's so many different moving parts to managing any species, whether it land on land or in water. Uh, so what's a in level of importance, uh, when you speak of striped bass and all the way down to the snakeheads? what, what brings the most people as far as an economical standpoint? So when the state agencies or whoever you're working with or advising to, you know, where, where do they want to put their attention, uh, from an economical standpoint?
2: Well, um, through that, the fisheries, you're talking about the, um, trout, Maryland has indigenous trout, you know, the, um, crap where they, yeah. Brook trout. Yeah. Brook trout. Brook (laughs) trout are the only indigenous animal here, but they got brook trout that they they're protecting from the, uh, West all the way to, um, up here, the concocted mountains, um, near camp David. There's up there, um, brown trout, uh, rainbow trout, largemouth bass. Uh, they have big bass tournaments on Potomac river throughout Maryland. There's a big industry for bass, um, uh, muskie is becoming a big um, draw, smallmouth bass is becoming a big draw um, then of course you have uh, striped bass, you've got the coast where they do uh, billfish you know big blue marlin, white marlin stuff out there um, you got the redfish now, you got cobia's really moving up, the, the ranks are starting to regulate that, which they never did in, you know, they, to the limit they had in the past um, then uh, of course you have um, they're doing tournaments for Blue cats to get people to cold them out. They're doing a ton of tournaments for Snakehead to cull them out. So all these fish, I would say, I wouldn't rank any of them above the other. Um, the DNR is trying to balance it and, and weigh it to appease everybody and to make uh, keep the um, you know the ecology good. Are they doing a good job? You figure? Yeah, I I, I believe the 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 people that are um, the blue collar that are working every day hard and doing this work, they're doing it right. Um, They're using science uh, that is poor um, because the um, Atlantic Coast Fisheries, they require, by law, uh, there's a a requirement um, by law that they have to use the best data provided. Um, But then again, nobody wants to pay the money to provide the best data that's out there or to gather that data. Hence, we're trying to do this one uh, tagging program for tag retention to, to help the DNR with that. So it's uh, all the way up and down the coast um, because of politics, nobody wants to pay the money. You know, somebody living in um, Ohio, Pennsylvania, you know, if, if they come out here to one one day a year to, to fish the bay to catch striped bass and take a fish home, you know, who's going to begrudge them of that? Let them take a fish home, you know, within the legal size, But uh, they are not the day to day thinking about the fishery issues and things like that. But they're so far removed from it. Um, the people that are being affected by it that have real concern are the uh, recreational anglers of the uh, striped bass industry, uh, commercial, and the charter boats.
1: Right. Yeah, good stuff. That's uh, very eye-opening for me. I, that's good stuff. Robbie, anything else?
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, we uh, yeah, about 40 minutes of uh, some good, solid info,
2: <laughs> info from you, Eric. Good stuff, man. Hey, talk, talk about mammals, though. What about sika deer? You ever hunt those? Those are invasives. They're from Japan, man. They're all over the right. famous coast you're right but
1: they're, <laughs> luckily they're there's they're contained on the island
2: right uh no well they're over on the they're on the western are eastern shore eastern shore uh, yeah on the shore around blackwater those guys i'm out there trying to fish for you know, in the fall trying to fish and they, getting these little john boats are out there they're buzzing across and you know, so that they can get into the marsh and sit there in, on the, in the marsh and shoot these little itty- bitty deer right. and bring them home right <laughs> they're really good eating. Yeah, I guess they're yeah. fun stuff. Yeah, I've never hunted them, but yeah. I'd like to.
0: Yeah, I do too. That that could be a good segment on an episode, Ryan. Talk about the, the yeah. sick of deer down have there to find out
1: where <laughs> Eric's fishing for out there in his moat and I'll pass him in the John boat. Um, oh, on yeah, deer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, throwing a
2: wake up on me or yeah. something I'm like
1: what the <laughs> Well, I tell you what, Eric, I'll extend this out there. If you ever uh, run in yourself have too many snakehead fillets. Uh, yeah, I'll certainly give you my address cause I'd love to eat one. I hear they're pretty good table fare.
2: Yeah, they're great. They're great. The, the, the meat is firm. It's white. It has no fish taste to it whatsoever. And whatever you, it's kind of like sweet meat, maybe taste, but, um, whatever you prep it with, it's going to take that taste on. So, um, it's really, really good table fare.
1: Yeah. Like, a, you know, one uh, of my favorites, I, walleye. They, what's that? I said, I, I really like to eat walleyes. What's it, how's it compared
2: to that? Um, uh, it's been a while since I had walleye. Mm. Mm. Yeah, they're they're more firm meat. They're um, I really really can't compare them with much of anything. Okay. They're, they're not, maybe my my Oh wow. Maybe something
0: like that. Yeah, snake snakehead are good, and I definitely I got a couple fillets in the the freezer, Ryan, for our our wild game our feast wild game that we want to have this yeah. summer. So yeah, wait. we got all. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah, I got a couple of fillets. I'd like to get some more. I got I to gotta get out there with Eric and his spots. Yeah, man. And, uh, yeah. Get some more. They're real pain, so,
2: uh, real pain to clean, though, because once they die, they get that real slime bust on them. And it's hard to hold, yeah. you hold them with a rag or with a glove or something like that. Wipe them off. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Good do deal. You skin them? Uh, yeah. yeah. Actually, just uh, cut by the neck, go along, and then flip it up, and then just cut the skin right off of it. Use okay. electric zip zip and you're done with it and the head's so small so you get a big chunk of meat out of both sides yeah, Good yeah. Deal. nice
1: okay that's all cool. i have i think that was a great one man i really appreciate eric coming on i think we should no i think we should do it again sometime i think you're a wealth of knowledge
2: <laughs> hopefully my knowledge is correct <laughs> hey,
1: you know as, as, right. as my mother used to say i'm full of useless information <laughs> no yeah i'm not saying they're your, your information is useless but when you come from the worlds we live in is you know it's a very limited audience <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, that's
0: good stuff so yeah, yeah so i'm a guy that fishes 240 days a year and has caught 42 different species during that period of time uh yeah, think- yeah he's on the advisor commission i think your wealth of knowledge eric thank you
2: i think this year i already have i want to say 18 19 species Oh, wow! okay nice
0: this' January' wow. January 1 yeah since January 1 1819 species nice yeah yeah all right yeah greatly appreciate it Eric thank you very right. much for coming on and uh looking all well, information
1: okay cool absolutely care all right
0: later Bubbas